is episode 51 of Everyday Wellness. Quality information for better quality of health with Dr. E. I'm Dr. Kelly Donahue, clinical health psychologist and mind-body coach, here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and functional nutritionist. Together, we have over 25 years of experience in wellness, nutrition, nursing, and psychology. Our goal here at Everyday Wellness is to share easy strategies to help as many people as possible become healthier. You can help us attain this goal by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. The process takes just a few minutes and helps listeners like you find our podcast when they're looking for quality health and wellness information. We are so grateful that you are here. And now, let's get started. Welcome to Everyday Wellness. Wellness is the result of the decisions that you make every day. It's your mindset and the thoughts you believe. Wellness is the food you put in your body and the relationship you have with yourself and others. Wellness is your work and meaning. Join us on Everyday Wellness as we explore ways that you can choose wellness today. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are super excited to have Dr. E with us today. He is a physician by training and an educator by choice. His educational background includes an MD degree with additional training in age management as well as regenerative medicine. Throughout his career, he's learned that people really do want to live healthier, longer lives, but are constantly bombarded by conflicting information. We all have been there for sure. This creates mental overwhelm and prevents lasting change. And for this reason, he's made it his mission to be a guide for as many people as possible through his website, social media channels, and most recently with his podcast, The Highway to Health Show. Welcome, Dr. E. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're really excited to have you on. So, you know, I'd love to hear more about, you know, what is regenerative medicine? I mean, I think Kelly and I have a really good idea, but I know that many of our listeners are probably curious as well. Yeah. So regenerative medicine is a broad term. It's not really like specific specialty, although there are um, trainings now for it. So pretty much any specialty can, can also get trained in regenerative medicine, but it is the field that deals with everything that has to do and that promotes healing from within. So contrary to the kind of medicine that we, a lot of us physicians have been trained with, regenerative medicine, instead of trying to use a drug, a medication, a surgical approach to fix something, what we're doing with regenerative medicine is we're helping the body leverage its own repair mechanisms. So that includes treatments such as uh, platelet-rich plasma, which we've heard for a long time, PRP, uh, even for cosmetic applications, um, exosomes, and uh, stem cell therapy, for instance. You know, it's really interesting. I'm a Western medicine trained nurse practitioner. And many, many years ago, when I was a newer nurse practitioner, just out of training, PRP was something that was really cutting edge. I'm so glad to see that it has been able to create a niche and be so helpful at the time that um, I was in Baltimore, you're seeing a lot of it used in um, orthopedic procedures. And I know that it can be hugely beneficial. 
yes, so orthopedic is one of the most uh, common sites. As a matter of fact, here in the U.S., because of the regulations, you will see most regenerative medicine applications should be focused on orthopedics because you have to stay non-systemic with most of them. So the way the definition works is that systemic is is defined as if something affects two or more organs. That's why most of the applications that we're seeing with regenerative medicine are just on a specific joint, on a specific tendon, or even for cosmetic applications, we also see it a lot. Uh, the vampire facelift, the O-shot, the P-shot, all of those things, they are done with platelet-rich plasma, so PRP. That's cool. And I want to I want to dive into stem cells more specifically. So they've been in the news quite a bit lately. And I think many people, probably including Cynthia and myself, might be a little bit confused about how stem cells are formed and really what they can do. So can you please help us understand how we use stem cells for health? Sure. So the first thing to know is, and, and going back and going back, before even we can start talking about stem cell therapy, we need to understand that all of us have stem cells in our body. So that is, that's the cell population. That's the kind of cells that are currently circulating in our body and they're trying to figure out and recognize uh, any affected tissues or any affected cells and, and go and fix them, right? They go and repair them. That's how we repair our everyday wear and tear. The, the example that I always give people is, if we're living in certain cities, for instance, where there's a lot of pollution, I'm originally from Mexico City, so I know a thing or two about pollution. <laughs> and what's happening is that we're constantly breathing all of this and our lungs are, are being hurt in a way. So they're being damaged at a cellular level. It is our stem cells that go there and, and repair them and all the, all the everyday really wear and tear. As we obviously get older, the amount of our stem cells decreases, the quality of these stem cells also decreases, and our, our ability to repair also decreases. So once we understand that, we can, we can see how utilizing those stem cells in a concentrated and purposeful manner can help us promote healing in a specific area of the body, or even systemically with the right kind of stem cell approach. And where, what conditions are you personally using stem cells with in terms of your own patient population? Well, I'm, I'm currently not practicing. So I moved okay. over to the U.S. Um, a couple of months ago to specifically work for a, for a stem cell company. Um, they're, they're manufacturing a, a, an off-the-shelf stem cell product. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm currently not, not practicing. The clinic that I ran for several years in Cancun we were doing all sorts of treatments for utilizing stem cells. So we were using both autologous stem cells, which means that they come from the same patient, whether it is from bone marrow or from adipose tissue, or even, for instance, a lot of people are currently storing their children's uh, court blood when they're born. Mm -hmm. Well, if you use that blood or the stem cells in that court blood several years later, that's still an autologous treatment. And then we also have allogeneic treatments, which are the ones that a lot of people are hearing about, which are from donated cord blood and donated umbilical cord tissue and, um, and, and all those um, sources that are not from the same person. So going back to your question, what we were treating down there, we developed specific treatments for autism. So we had probably the largest clinic that was, we had the one clinic that was only treating autism and cerebral palsy with stem cells. 
and uh, we also treated a lot of neurologic neurodegenerative conditions such as uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, multiple sclerosis, and autoimmune disorders like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. But that's not where the list ends. So it is important to understand that regenerative medicine or stem cell therapy is not a solution in and of its own. It's just a tool. And that tool can be used in several different specialties. When I tell people that our clinic treated all those things, it doesn't mean that I or any of the other doctors who were there full time were the ones doing all these treatments. We were simply facilitating the stem cell component of it so that the neurologist could do the treatment for um, for certain neurological conditions. The pulmonologist could treat uh, the patients with COPD. The orthopedist could treat uh, the joints and any, any of those things. The rheumatologist could do the autoimmune disorders. And that's something that we need to understand. There's a very broad area or a very broad what you call it, um, umbrella or, or, or range, a very broad range of conditions that can be treated, but it doesn't necessarily mean that any doctor who uses stem cells should be, should be trying to treat those. So it sounds like it's really best used in an integrated environment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You cannot, one of the most common mistakes that we're currently seeing here in the U.S., and, and part of the reason why I'm no longer involved with, with the company that I came to work for, uh, right now, is that we are commoditizing, the industry is commoditizing the stem cell injection. So people think that it's just about going in and getting a stem cell injection, when in reality, stem cell therapy should only be used as part of a comprehensive treatment plan. Like I said, it is a tool and it only works as part of a therapeutic approach. It doesn't work on its own. Stem cell therapy doesn't cure anything. There's not a single thing that stem cell therapy will cure. It will just promote healing. So it has to be part of a of a of an integrative, comprehensive treatment plan. Okay, that that makes sense. And kind of taking that one step further, how would a person's environment, their nutritional environment, their mental state, and their overall physical well-being affect how those stem cells work in the body? everything because what's happening here is that if you do let's say you get a stem cell infusion right and let's say that you're getting treated outside of the u.s so you can do properly a systemic treatment and you can get an iv infusion and you can get decent numbers of 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 pure isolated stem cells which you currently cannot do here so what's going to happen is that those stem cells contrary to what we used to believe several years ago, they don't become the the tissue that they're planning to repair themselves. What they do, however, is they will come in and they will trigger the recipient's or the patient's own repair mechanisms. So if you're not taking good care of yourself, if you're not um, keeping an eye on your nutrition, if you're not nourishing your body, if you're not exercising, if you're not doing all the things to the best of your capacity up to that point, then they will not be able to leverage a very healthy repair mechanism. You see, so so the repair and the results that we see aren't isn't going to be ideal. And then the other side of the treatment, if you receive a treatment and then you think that that'll give you a free pass to now just do everything or anything you want to because, well, I just had stem cell therapy, so now I can neglect my sleep, I can go back to partying, I can eat crap again, then you're not going to be able to repair what you're supposed to, what you're trying to repair. 
And I think that can really apply to so many things. I mean, certainly Kelly and I see that in our practices that, you know, people, I, I oftentimes will say you can't out-exercise a bad diet. So the, the people that at 20 maybe can eat McDonald's every day and do CrossFit, but when you get a little north of 30, uh, that may not work for you long term. You just think about the downstream effects of all the inflammation. So I love that you um, integrate that into your your thought process when you're considering, you know, thinking about what would be most beneficial. I think in many ways, a lot of Western medicine forgets how important the nutrition piece, the mindset piece is. It's equally important to how else we are managing our patients or thinking about managing our patients. I would even go as far as to say that it is actually more important Mm -hmm. uh, because it is the foundation. You cannot build on top of a shaky foundation and you can have pretty much the best kind of treatment that you can think of or that that science can provide. But if, if, if you don't have a strong foundation, then you really... Are, are setting yourself up for failure. And we see this time and time again. We not only recommend this to our patients, but for a long time when I was running the clinic down in Cancun, because people were traveling from all over the world literally to go see us, and it was not an inexpensive treatment. You're talking sure. above 25K, uh, sometimes up to $35,000 for the entire treatment and the trip and everything. That, that was the kind of investment that people had to make at the time. We wanted to make sure that they were setting themselves up for success. So we said no a lot when -hmm. people were expecting that. When people were expecting that miraculous thing, we saw that a lot with, you know, middle-aged, usually it was men, but middle-aged men who had been abusing their bodies for 45, Mm -hmm. 50 years and partying a little bit too much and drinking a little bit too much and eating what they shouldn't be eating and not exercising. And suddenly they said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go get stem cell therapy and that's going to, you know, pump me back up. Well, that's, that's not exactly how it works. Well, and it's interesting, you know, my whole background's in ER medicine and cardiology, and I just can't tell you how frustrating it was when I would be looking at someone who was younger than me, and I would say, you know, trying to find some way to motivate them to change their diet, to take a little different perspective. And more often than not, they would say, just write the prescription. I'm not going to stop smoking. I'm not going to lose weight. I'm not going to change my diet, which I found disheartening because I kept thinking you're going to end up back on the cath lab table, or you're going to end up with, you know, fully blown diabetes, or you're going to end up, you know, not living to see your kids graduate high school. And how sad is that? Yeah, exactly. It's it's tremendously sad. And the big problem, and I was just literally last weekend, I was in Chicago uh, speaking for Generation Rescue. And one of the things that, that we were talking about, they're focusing a lot on, on, on integrative uh, health and on preventative medicine. And a lot of the things that, that, that you just mentioned, the big problem and what people don't really recognize it is because none of the effects of these things is immediate. If you, if you had a crappy meal and you immediately started having chest pains, then you wouldn't have a crappy meal again. But what happens is that you don't really get that right away. It's like, it's like putting things in your credit card and you don't realize it until you suddenly cannot pay for it. I think that's a really great explanation, a great way to think about health in general. Now, when you were working with patients and, and even now in the work that you do and this, the speaking that you do, how do you help people or guide people into shifting their mindset into a more positive, healthier mindset? Yeah, exactly. So right now I'm doing a lot of um, a lot of patient uh, health coaching, really. Um, and, and mindset is definitely the number one thing that people need to change. And, and 
even before they can change it, they need to recognize it. And the most important way and the most important thing that we really do for that is to raise awareness into it and to recognize how people are setting themselves up by how they talk to themselves. Because every time we make a decision, whether we're aware of it or not, we are having a conversation inside our heads and we are talking to ourselves and we're either justifying it or we're we're deciding against it but we're having this conversation in our heads and and the number one thing or the most important step is to recognize that this is happening and when we recognize that this is happening then we can start seeing how we are in control of this and these are all of our choices sometimes they're harder sometimes there's also like a, a biological a psychological um trigger but most of the times all of these triggers that we see are things that are under our control. So what I always like to do, and, and I used to do this before when I was doing clinical work with patients as well, is help them understand that every decision that they make, and not just with regards to their health, but, but speaking specifically about health, it is a decision that they're making and it is something that is in their control it's it's in their hands and they need to understand that and they need to have that mindset because everything good that happens to them is in their hands is because of, of a good decision they did but also everything bad that happens and in the moment that they can start responsibilizing themselves for for the situation that brought them into my office at the time or in your case when you're talking about working with patients in the er if that patient can recognize that it was his or her choices that brought him there then that's when you can start changing. That's so good and so true. And I, I loved what you talked about in terms of responsibility and want to touch on that a little bit more. So when I work with my clients as a health psychologist and mind-body coach, when we talk about them having responsibility for their physical and mental health, it I think it can empower people because they think that they can actually make a change. But I think that, as you mentioned, that also means that the, de the decisions they had been making in their lives got them where they are today and that they are responsible for that. Do you get resistance from people when you explain that to them? Yeah, all the time, because people people will always like to, uh, how I say this, people will think that the choices they made were a product of their circumstances and not a product of their free choice. They think that the reason they've been eating badly is because um, they were raised that way or somebody else is, is cooking for them or, or any other reason that is beyond their control. So obviously that's that's the mindset that they've been that they've been programming into their head. They look at their situation and they feel, well, there's nothing I can do about this and that's that's why I am where I am. But in reality, it is it is a process that they need to go to and and not everyone does it. And I have to be very, very um, honest about this. But as a physician, you also have to be aware that not every patient will be receptive to it. But you still have to do it and you still have to let them know. And a lot of the times, like I said before, when we were working at, at the clinic, we would simply refuse treatment for, for, for certain kinds of patients that, that came in with that mindset. Because if they thought that the circumstances put them there and that we as doctors were responsible for the result simply because they were seeking our services, then it again, they were setting themselves up for failure. So... 
to answer your questions, yes, I do sense that sometimes there is resistance in in in, in patients, but that's why it's also so important for for doctors and for healthcare providers in general to be educators first and to empower patients because it is not only until they're empowered and they they realize that everything that happens in their lives is a direct result of their choices then they cannot i mean unless they do that realization they cannot really change it well i think having you know that that different dialogue i know that when i trained in clinical medicine you know now it's 20 years ago uh it wasn't so much about empowering patients to actualize that they have a responsible uh side to their health and wellness it was more about they come in with a symptom you treat the symptom, you give them a pill, you address the symptom, you're not addressing root cause, you're certainly not generally not addressing um, the myriad of things that contribute to the decisions that patients make. So I, I am so grateful and appreciative that you you and, and many of the doctors and, and trained professionals that have come since then are acknowledging how important that is. I mean, I think, you know, nurses have a have a different kind of mindset in terms of motivating our patients to get things done. But I'm so glad to see that that's evolving and changing because not having buy in from the patient um, in terms of them, you know, from a psych- psychological perspective, ensures that we're not going to get nearly as good a results as we would otherwise. Yeah, nurse, nursing has always been a lot more empathetic uh, as a field than us as doctors. And even myself, I mean, I graduated 12 years ago from medical school, and I was trained as a fixer of problems. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's really the, the training of Western medicine right now. Mm-hmm. You are there to fix someone's problems. They come in, they tell you their problems, you tell them how to fix them, that's it. But in reality, that's not at all what should be happening and i think many of us are realizing this and that's why we're seeing this trend uh, continue to grow in terms of educating because not only it is absolutely true what you just mentioned until you can get buy-in from from your patients you really cannot have any lasting change sure you can give them a painkiller but you're not fixing the problem and that's what we really need to recognize as healthcare providers that our job is not to get rid of symptoms right now our job is not to treat labels. Our job is not to identify or diagnose and assign labels. Our, our job is to restore health. And the only way that, that health can be restored is if the person whose health you want to restore is actually willing to do it. Yeah, the willingness is a huge piece. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work you do now. So you mentioned that you are doing sort of health coaching with clients. What does that look like? Well, I do. I don't do a lot of one-to-one work, to be honest with you. I do mostly group work. So either either with uh, with uh, coaching and mastermind style groups for health, or through education. So I have an educational portal. Uh, I have a that that's made up of a website. We we have a. Um, Facebook group that that also allows a lot of interaction. We're doing the podcast and we're doing a lot of a lot of lectures. I'm speaking a lot as you know, pretty much anywhere that I can that I can that I get invited to speak, because I believe that at this point, especially given my background and my interest in regenerative medicine, it is it is very important to both raise the awareness of regenerative medicine. My job is to really get people excited about the possibilities of regenerative medicine but also to warn them about all the potential dangers. Like you said at the beginning, we're seeing a lot of um, 
a lot of stem cells in the news recently and, and and there's different reasons for that but the truth is we're seeing a lot of people who shouldn't be performing these treatments we're seeing a lot of product that shouldn't be out in the market we're seeing a lot of providers that shouldn't be providing these treatments so my my number one goal right now is after all these years of raising awareness for stem cell therapeutics is to help people realize that they still need to do their research in order to make sure that they're pursuing safe stem cell therapeutics. So that's that's what I'm focusing a big chunk of my time as a healthcare provider. I have another company where we train doctors in, in branding and marketing themselves ethically and, and do all sorts of things. And I also spend a, a rather significant portion of my time um, with that. Um, but mostly on the patient education side, that's what I'm currently doing. Well, I think that's fantastic and, and certainly very valuable work. I would love for you to share two strategies that you'd like to share with our listeners for improving their health every day. Well, the n- number one, and I always start with this, and we, we touch briefly on this, on this uh, right now in our conversation, is you need to be aware of what's happening. You cannot change anything that that you're not tracking and that you're not consciously aware of so i see this a lot people suddenly say well you know what i need to improve my eating and you say great what are you eating well i'm not sure a little bit of this a little bit of that but they don't realize everything else that they're putting in their mouth so for instance if you want to improve your eating habits what i tell people is make sure that for a day or two or three or four you track everything and 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 don't even look at the list just write it down so that after a couple of days you can look back and start recognizing patterns and then you can start improving. But if you don't track something, you cannot improve. If you want to improve your your wellness, if you want to improve your fitness, if you want to improve anything in your life, first you need to be aware of that thing. We live our lives in autopilot so often that everything that we're doing is just a series of habits that we've installed at one point or another and that have brought us to where we're at right now. So the number one thing is to be aware of all these different decisions that we make throughout the day, uh, which we want to change or improve. And then the second one is to find a guide. So we're seeing that right now, uh, another big problem is that information is plentiful. There's, there's, There's not a lack of information. And sometimes people think that they can go to Google, but that's, a lot of times they they feel like it's drinking from a fire hose but in reality that's not even drinking from a fire hose that's that's all dirty filthy water because the information there is not curated you don't even know if it's accurate you don't even know if it's safe so it's very important nowadays to really find a guide find guidance and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you pay for but there are so many resources online that are trustworthy that can curate all this information for them. So if you want to change in one specific area, don't just go to Google and find what anybody with, with an internet connection suddenly posted because the only requirement to, to put up a blog is to have an internet connection. Nobody asks you what's your credentials, what's your experience, what's your background. That's what we're seeing all these fake gurus and experts on Instagram and YouTube and, and, and everywhere. And it just baffles me. But the thing is, people can make that decision or can change the outcome of that research by finding trustworthy sources. And I think that that listening to shows like yours 
and and following the experts that you guys feature and and following the the people that i feature as well and following the people that all everyone else we're kind of like making this network uh, and, and and we're kind of like improving the credibility of the people that are on these shows so that's what people need to look for they need to look for this trust factor they need to look for this credibility and don't just buy into the hype because you cannot really make any changes just by reading whatever you see online good oh that is so good i know that kelly and i talk (laughs) about this quite a bit and being you know all being licensed healthcare providers i think that it's always let the buyer beware but uh, i can't tell you how much misinformation is out there and it's sometimes hard for me to keep my mouth shut. Um, Twitter being a good example, there's a lot of well-meaning individuals giving out what I perceive to be medical advice who are not licensed healthcare providers. And I'm like, my goodness, you just have to hope that people do their due diligence and really invest the time and the effort in finding, you know, people that they can follow who actually know what they're talking about and um, can support their needs in, in unique ways. Well, I can't thank you enough for carving out time out of your busy schedule. I know that um, you are very busy and, and we are so grateful that you were able to meet with us today. Oh, no, it's been a pleasure. I, like I said, this is a big, big focus of of what I'm doing, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think that people need this information. I think that as healthcare providers, we're doing them a disservice by staying out of the discussions, by staying away from the conversations, by staying away from the noise of, of, of Twitter, like you mentioned, and of Instagram mm-hmm. and of the podcast. So I think that right now, our role as healthcare providers, we have an obligation to our potential patients to be more present. So thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find out more about Cynthia and her work at chtwellness.com. And you can find out more about Kelly and her work at everydaytherapist.com. In addition, if you have questions for us or topics you'd like us to address, please email us at everydaywellnesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.